بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله والصلاة والسلام على سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين. so إن شاء الله continue. Um, I want to recap uh, what we've covered so far because we've had a lot of information and so I want to make sure that we are starting to put the pieces of the puzzle together before we move forward. Most of what we've covered so far is is theory, so it's very academic. And I think going forward, most of it will be, it'll be a little bit of theory, but a lot more practicality. Uh, but I want to make sure that we're all on the same page before. So if you recall, we started by talking about the importance of purification and what it means to become close to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And we started with the hadith of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam where the Jibreel, angel Jibreel had come. Very famous hadith. And you'll hear it many times again in your life, inshallah. But the angel Jibreel had come and he asked the Prophet Sallallahu as Umar al-Khattar related, he asked him what is Islam, what is Iman, and he asked him what is Ihsan. And the Prophet said Ihsan was, and It is to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as if you see him. That is what Ihsan is. That is what excellence and perfection when it comes to your deen is. If you aren't able to, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sees you. From there we talked about the importance of purifying ourselves and and uh, 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 and the importance of uh, purity as explained in the Quran. And one of the prophetic responsibilities, one of the four main prophetic responsibilities of the Prophet was it was Yatlu Alihim Ayatihi, which is that he recite to them the book, meaning the Quran, um, or recite to him the verses, that Prophet teach the book um, and wisdom. وَيُزَكِّيهِمْ And that he purify, you purify the Sahaba. Uh, and so that was the prophetic model at the time, was that the Prophet ﷺ was there, and one of his principal responsibilities was to purify the community around him. And then the Sahaba took that responsibility upon themselves to then purify the people around them, who were the Tabi'een. The Taba Tabi'een are the people that followed the Tabi'een, and the Tabi'een took the responsibility of then sharing this message of purity and becoming close to Allah and excelling in our, in our ibadat, in our worship, they carried that over to the Taba Tabi'een. And that you know, silsila has carried down, down uh, all the way until the present day. All the way until the present day. In the second talk, so that was the first talk, and we talked about the, the importance and the necessity of, of it, and how it's a fundamental principle in this, of this deen, which is tazkiyah and disawud. The second talk, uh, we had talked about the two spheres of creation, how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has created in two ways. One was, cre- one was through command. Uh, one, is, one is the commanded world, which is alamul amr, and one is alamul khalq, which is the created world. The created world was created over time, tadrijan, right, sittati ayyam. And the commanded world was created instantly, kun fayakun. And the uniqueness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's creation of the human being is that the human being was created from both spheres. We have two parts to us, we have a body and we have a soul. We have a body and we have a soul. The body was created from alam al-khalq and at the core of the body is the nafs and the soul was created from alam al-amr which is the commanded world and at the core of the uh, soul is the... What's at the core of the soul? The heart, the qalb. In Arabic, the qalb. Right? We said, إِنَّ اللَّهَ لَا يَنظُرُ إِلَىٰ صُوَرِكُمْ وَمَالِكُمْ وَلَكِنْ يَنظُرُ إِلَىٰ قُلُوبِكُمْ وَأَعْمَالِكُمْ and then we said in the verse of the Quran earlier, Allah bi dikr Allah tatma'inul qulub. 
So the qalb is at the center of the uh, of the soul. It's the command of the soul. And the nafs is at the center of the body. And Allah Ta'ala created us from both. And the important message from this was that the body is, supply, is nourished by things from the created world. That's what sustains it. So clothes, food, etc. And if we overdo these things, then the body will overcome the soul. When in reality, there should be the soul, the soul and the body should be in their balanced places. That the body should have, we should have a set amount that we eat. You know, this is the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ. We, we do wear clothes and we, you know, we have to look decent when we're presenting. But we don't go overboard with these things. And we don't think that happiness comes from these things. We are very balanced people. As believers, as Muslims, we are, we are people of balance. We're not people of extreme. Uh, we're not people of extreme uh, extremity. We are people of balance. So, in this, so this, and as we subdue or control the control the nafs and the body, the soul begins to elevate, and vice versa. As we elevate the soul, the body then kind of gets put back into place, and ultimately you get what resembled the Sahaba radiAllahu anhum. The companions around the Prophet were the perfect example of balance. Or I should say, even better than that, the best example of balance was the Prophet ﷺ himself. In fact, some Sahaba had come to the Prophet ﷺ and they said to the Prophet ﷺ, you know, we are so spiritually uplifted. This is not their words, but this is the sense of why they had come to the Prophet ﷺ. And they said that we are at that level, or we want to get to that level, so we are going to fast every single day. And we were married, but we are not going to go to our spouses for, for, for that intimate relationship. We're just not going to do this. So the Prophet ﷺ had to reprimand them because they were trying to take their soul and elevate it way too high. Meaning, and, and suppress, or they were trying to, let me rephrase that, they were trying to suppress the body such that it was, it's unhealthy for the person. And so the Prophet ﷺ reprimanded them and said, look, I, I, I'm the messenger of Allah. I fast and then I break my fast. And I, um, and the Prophet ﷺ fulfills all of these responsibilities to his spouses. So the Prophet ﷺ said, you know, look at me. I'm, I'm, the, I'm the example of balance. So there has to be a balance. Uh, in today's age, we've completely um, fed the nafs such that it's become a wild animal and we have no control over anything. And we've, com we've neglected the soul such that, you know, some of us, myself included, we're, we're at this point where the soul could just wither away and die if we don't give it any more attention. We talked about things that feed the, the body. We talked about things that feed the soul. Uh, we talked about a couple of principles. The first principle about the, the soul and the body was that they're in the same box and that the soul is elevated or the heart is elevated, then the nafs will then become suppressed. And vice versa, if you suppress the nafs, the soul will elevate because it's one space. And as you take something out of a vacuum, it's, it's a vacuum. As you take something out, the other thing will increase. Um, and as a result of, for instance, feeding the soul, the body will then require less sleep. So people that just sleep and sleep and sleep and sleep, I mean... There's a component of that is that we have let our nafs get out of control. We just want to sleep and sleep and sleep. You know, and we just want to eat and eat. And we just want to, you know, look at things online for hours and hours and hours. And we'll never tire from that. You know, we just want to, uh, if, if we have five minutes without our cell phone and we don't send a message, then we feel very uncomfortable and uneasy with ourselves. These are all signs of the nafs being um, out of, uh, you know, sort of out of, purport, uh, out, of, out of control, right? The balance is completely, is off. And then we talked... That was the first principle. The second principle was that if you want to test yourself, because you yourself know yourself the best, or you have the ability to know yourself the best, is to try two things, like a litmus test, right? You want to test drive your soul or your nafs. So what you do, you could try two things. Number one is you pray two rak'ah salah, or pray salah, like nafal salah, and see how long you can stay in salah for. 
right? And, and actually enjoy the salah. The other thing was that you sit down and ref- sit down for 15 minutes in one spot in isolation without any distractions and try to reflect upon Allah's greatness and see if you can do it. If you're able to do it, and not only you're able to do it, but you're able to enjoy it, then that's a sign of spiritual maturity and, and control of the nafs. And if you aren't able to do it, then it's a sign meaning that you just want to get out of the prayer. You're thinking about a hundred other things and you don't enjoy it at all. That's a sign of spiritual immaturity. Spiritual immaturity. And that's a sign of the nafs being out of control. Now, with regards to the nafs, this is a side point. You know, we know that there's three types of nufus, right? It comes in the Quran. One is nafsul amara. One is nafsul lawama. And nafsul, the third is nafsul mutma'inna. Nafsul mutma'inna is the nafs that is fully subdued and controlled, that you have control over it. You have control over it. Your, your desires are under control, right? The Prophet said, The fool of this world is that person that lets, that follows their whims and their nafs and their desires without even thinking. A person that achieves nafsul mutma'inna is so nafsul mutma'inna is that person that has good control over that, over that inner animal within themselves. They have really good control over it. They have self-discipline, right? Um, they they know they, they don't let that get out of control. Or they're able to control it. Okay, so moving on to the third principle. The third principle when it comes to the soul and the body and the nafs is just like the body requires a balanced diet in order to be healthy. Just like the body requires a balanced diet in order to be healthy, the soul too requires a balanced diet in order to be healthy. The soul and the heart requires a balanced diet in order to be healthy. So for the body, there, like I said before we, had, before we ended the last session, I, I had alluded to this session, which was that there is a certain amount of you know, carbs that a person should have every day, a certain amount, you know, and, th- and this has all been you know, written now, there's food pyramids, there's different diets that are available, there's certain vitamins that are essential, and the physical body has to have these things in order to remain healthy. And if a person neglects these, these principles that nutritionists and dietitians have come up with, then the body will wither away and, it'll, and it'll, it'll become very unhealthy, unstable, and eventually the body can just die. If you starve it all together of its key vitamins and minerals and key nutrients, the body will die. The soul is the same way, except the soul is far more important than the body. If the, if the body dies, you know, the body is dying regardless. The body has to die. You know, it was interesting, we were on rounds like, a couple, like last week or two weeks ago, and um, or it, was, it was some time before, and one of the patients that we were with um, was overly anxious about this, about this possibility of a diagnosis, right, that he, that he thought he might have. So after we, you know, we did all these testing, we did an MRI, we did lumbar puncture, all these things, and we told, we went in bedside and we told him that, you know, we actually don't think you have this. And he goes, <sighs> and he like sort of sighed relief. And so he looked at our attending and he said, okay, so I'm not dying. So I'm not dying. And then the attending looked at him and said, no, 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 well, you are dying. We're all dying. We're all dying. The body has to die. It's up to us to ensure that our soul doesn't wither away and die. We have to take care of our bodies. It's from the sunnah. I told you we're balanced people. But our soul is essential. If our soul withers away and dies, and we come to a point where our iman is gone, then then that'll be regret. That'll be regret. You know, we might have we might suffer from some bodily disease in this world. 
maybe you know, Allah Ta'ala protect us, but maybe we'll suffer from diabetes, or maybe we'll get cancer, or maybe you know, Allah Ta'ala protect us from all these things. But if these things are to happen, it might expedite our death. But ultimately the body has to die. We all have to meet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But if the soul becomes sick, it's a very dangerous state. Because the soul is what's going to have to answer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala on the Day of Judgment. If the soul isn't healthy, and it isn't purified, and it isn't under control, and it hasn't been elevated, then that'll be difficult. That'll be difficult. So the third principle is that the soul requires a balanced diet. And I'm going to highlight a few things. You can write these down if you're writing, taking notes. There's five um, components to the, a, a well-balanced diet for the soul or for the heart. The first is recitation of the Qur'an. Recitation of the Qur'an is essential. Is an essential... Um, it, 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 the recitation of the Qur'an is essential to the soul. It's an essential food for the soul. Every single day, every believer should recite at least 20 or 30 minutes of Qur'an. This, this should be, we should write this down, we should put it on, you know, post it up on our walls, we should, on our Facebook walls, our real walls, but every single person should recite at least 20 or 30 minutes of Qur'an every day. And if we aren't able to recite Qur'an, then at least, like we, we've never learned Arabic, or whatever it might be, then at least take the Qur'an off the shelf and just hold it in your lap for 20 minutes, my teachers say. Because Qur'an is the word of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and the word of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the best form of word or dhikr out there. When a person recites the Qur'an, every letter they recite, whether they understand it or not, whether they understand what they're reading or not, every single letter is worth 10 uh, deeds. Every single letter of the Qur'an is worth 10 deeds. So there's so much reward that we receive from the Qur'an, and we elevate our soul by reciting the Qur'an because it's the best form of dhikr out there. There's no form of dhikr that anyone can ever prescribe or anyone can ever write or tell you to do that is superior than the recitation of the Qur'an. That is superior than the recitation of the Qur'an. The Prophet said in one hadith, فَضْلُ كَلَامِ اللَّهِ عَلَى سَائِرِ الْكَلَامِ كَفَضْلِ اللَّهِ عَلَى خَلْقِ That the superiority of the Book of Allah Ta'ala over all other types of creation. Uh, sorry, uh, sorry. Uh, the superiority of the words of Allah over all other types of words, speech. Is like the superiority of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala over all of his creation. So the Prophet when he sometimes has to explain something, he uses an analogy and he, he uses something that's very obvious to explain something that perhaps isn't as obvious to us. What's obvious to us? It's obvious that Allah ta'ala is superior to creation. But not only is he superior, the degree of superiority of Allah over all of us and over all of creation. We can, I mean, it's, it's difficult to understand, but we can, we can make some sense of it. Allah Ta'ala is living and will always live and we're going to die. Allah Ta'ala creates, we are created. Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta'ala sustains, we are sustained. Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta'ala doesn't sleep, we require sleep. Allah Ta'ala is so different and so superior than His creation. There is nothing that is the same as Allah. Laysa There's nothing like Allah Ta'ala in this world. Like, there's nothing. We don't even compare. So that we know. So the Prophet ﷺ is using that to tell us in the same way that Allah Ta'ala is that different and that superior and that great over His creation. In that same way, فَضْلُ كَلَامِ اللَّهِ عَلَى سَائِلِ الْكَلَامِ In the same way, the words of Allah, yani the Qur'an, is that superior over all types of speech. Over all types of speech. Books, websites, text messages, encyclopedias, novels, 
all types of speech. Nothing will compare to the words of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's how superior Allah's word is. So we should look at our lives and see how are involved are we with the Qur'an. I mean, are we feeding our soul with the Qur'an or have we left it on the bookshelf or left it in the masjid and left it for something that we do in social you know, occasions when someone passes away or left it to recite when we have an exam coming up and we want you know, Allah on our side. If, if that's what we've made our Qur'an, then, then we aren't feeding our soul. It's you know, the, the key essential ingredient, the, the protein for the soul, which is the Qur'an. We've completely left that. We've completely left and we can't leave it. The Qur'an is our way of life. And we have to interact and engage with it every day. Whether we can recite it, whether we cannot recite it, we can take the Qur'an, open it up and look at it for 20 minutes if you're too tired to actually recite it. But have interaction with the Qur'an. It is essential to the soul. That's number one. The second is, the second uh, important food for the soul is salawat on the Prophet ﷺ, or durud, salawat on the Prophet ﷺ. Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, Allahumma salli ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala ali Sayyidina Muhammad wa wa sallam. But we're saying salawat on the Prophet ﷺ is essential for the soul. Every soul has to have this because it has a few benefits. Number one, it helps a person establish, establish a connection with the Prophet ﷺ. Establish a connection with the Prophet ﷺ. Every day we should recite some set amount of salawat on the Prophet ﷺ. Every single day we should do this. It's such a special uh, way to elevate the soul that in the Qur'an, if you look throughout the Qur'an, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala doesn't participate in any forms of worship Himself. We're supposed to do Qur'an, we're, suppo sorry, we're supposed to read Qur'an, Allah ta'ala doesn't read Qur'an. We're supposed to perform salah to Allah, but Allah ta'ala doesn't engage in that Himself. But in the Qur'an, there's one deed where Allah ta'ala says that I myself engage in this deed. When He says, Verily, Allah Ta'ala, not only Allah, but even angels, the angels engage in sending salat and salam on the Prophet Sallallahu Sending salat and salam on the Prophet So if Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala is doing it, and His angels are doing it, and then He says, Sallu alayhi, send peace and blessings upon Him. You can imagine how nourishing this must be for the soul. How nourishing this must be for the soul. The Prophet ﷺ said in a hadith, مَنْ صَلَّى عَلَيَّ وَاحِدَةً That anyone that sends salawat upon me one time, صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ عَشْرًا Allah Ta'ala sends salat upon me, uh, Allah Ta'ala sends salat upon that person ten times. For the salik, someone who's traversing the path of becoming close to Allah Ta'ala, for that person, the goal is to attract Allah's attention. And can you imagine that each time you send one salat on the Prophet Allah Ta'ala's attention is being sent ten times down upon you. Imagine the progression that you'll make. That's number two. And, and, and each time you send salat on the Prophet the angels carry it to him. You know, he's alive in his grave. The angels actually send, that message gets to him. That message eventually gets to him. The third, the third essential for the soul. Maybe this should be number one. It's on there. They're all important. Is ittiba' a sunnah? Is to follow the sunnah of the Prophet To follow the sunnah of the Prophet This is, you know, you could almost put this in its own category. The sunnah of the Prophet is essential for the soul. A person that wants to approach Allah, become close to Allah, become a muhsin who who is in a state of ihsan. That person has to follow the sunnah of the Prophet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Qur'an so beautifully, قُلْ إِن كُنْتُمْ تُحِبُّونَ اللَّهِ 
Oh, you who desire to love Allah. And that's all of us. We desire to love Allah. Fattabi'uni. Follow me. The Prophet ﷺ is being told to say, follow me. Fattabi'uni. And the sigha that's used in Arabic is, is one of emphasis, one of... So, it comes from ittaba'a yattabi'u. Ittiba'a, a sunnah, means not just to follow the sunnah, but to follow it footstep by footstep. Like every single step of the Prophet ﷺ follow that. And in it will lie success. In it will lie success. And as a result of following it, فَاتَّبِعُونِي Then, يُحْبِبْكُمُ اللَّهِ What happens as a result of a person following the sunnah of the Prophet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then falls in love with them. For someone, for, the, for us who are gathered here in this gathering, we are here to attract Allah ta'ala's love and to build that love in our own hearts. And if we think we can do it by neglecting the sunnah of the Prophet then we're, we, we're mistaken. The way, the method to success is through the sunnah of the Prophet And everything the Prophet did is a way for us to feed our soul. The way the Prophet you know, ate, the way he walked, the way he talked, the way he smiled, the way he uh, uh, interacted with people, the way he looked, the way he uh, prayed his salah. Every single thing of the Prophet is detailed for us in hadith. Every detail the Sahaba put in for a reason, not for entertainment, not so we can have an academic discussion about it 1400 years later. It's because the Sahaba recognized we were people that did ittiba' of the sunnah and the people after also have to do that as well. So they preserved this so that you and I, 1400 years later, could mimic the teachings of the Prophet footstep by footstep by footstep. What happens when a person follows the Prophet is Allah Ta'ala's love comes upon that person. Allah's love comes upon that person. And you can imagine how nourishing that must be for the soul when Allah's attention is on that person. Allah, the, the issue is we don't understand how much Allah Ta'ala loved the Prophet If we understood the love that Allah had for the Prophet we wouldn't think twice about following the sunnah. We wouldn't even think twice. By default, we would say, if he loved him that much, then I should do it simply because I'm affiliated or associated with that and maybe I'll get a piece of that love as well. But, we, but we, we, not only do we have that, we have proof in the Qur'an that says, you follow this footstep, you follow the sunnah, footstep by footstep, Allah Ta'ala will fall in love with you. What happens as a result of, people, of Allah Ta'ala falling in love with you? One of the reasons that people are hesitant to follow the sunnah of the Prophet is because they're afraid of what other people might think of them or what other people might say to them. The Prophet says in a hadith that when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala falls in love with a person, with a, with a servant of his, then he declares out to all of creation that verily I love such and such person. And you too should love such and such person as well. I love such and such person. I love Umar. I love Fatima. And so you, meaning all of creation, also fall in love with that person. If we want people to love us, then we have to stick to the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ. This is why the people that were most adherent to the sunnah, and even today, looking at our teachers, that are so adherent to the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ, everyone loves them. Muslim, not Muslim. It doesn't make a difference. Because they are firm on the sunnah. The sunnah is rooted in tradition, embedded in tradition. It attracts the attention of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And people fall in love with that. 
So that should be even more motivation for us to stick to the sunnah of the Prophet And in today's day and age, we have to be very clear that the sunnah way is the, is the middle way, it's the proper way. And if we try to deviate one direction this way or one direction away from the sunnah, we'll end up way out in left field and have a very distorted view of our deen. But we can't have that. We have to have a firm understanding of our deen, this proper middle balanced path and that path was the way of the Prophet And if we start neglecting one sunnah and two sunnahs, then we'll neglect 20 sunnahs, and then we'll be way off the path. We'll be way off the path. So we can't take this lightly. It's food for the soul, and for people that, you know, it's, when we say it's sunnah, and people like to say, well, it's just a sunnah, do I have to do it? You don't have to do it. It's just, it is just a sunnah by that definition. By the legal definition, sure, it may be following, a lot of the things are just sunnah. But... For all of us that are gathered here, we don't apply that principle to our life. We aren't just trying to achieve mediocrity in deen. We've already established that. You're here because your goal is to attain ihsan. Your goal is to become spiritually pure. Your goal is to attain the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. For people that have that lofty goal in mind, then the goal isn't, your goal is to get an A plus in deen. It's not to get a C or a D. And to get an A plus in deen, then you have to bring the sunnah of the Prophet sallallahu into your life as well. That's number three. Number four, the fourth ingredient or piece of the recipe for the soul is good company. Good company. The company, a good company, friends, family, people that remind you of goodness and encourage you toward goodness, that is the company that we should seek. And in particular, we should seek out company of people that love Allah. Because when we seek out the company of people that love Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then the love for Allah ta'ala in our hearts will also then increase. You know, you spend time in the company of people that love things of this world, that love cars, and they talk about cars all day, and they talk about the, you know, the newest you know, model that's coming out, and you know, what, what the, um, what's going to be on display at the auto show, and it's all they're talking about. Inevitably, love for cars will also enter your heart. But if you spend time in the company of people that love Allah Ta'ala, then inevitably that love will permeate from their heart into your heart as well. So we have to seek out good company. Wicked company is that company that will take you away from Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala and it will destroy the soul. Destroy the soul. You know, wicked company, bad company, a bad friend or a bad companion or someone who's doing something you know, off the path of this deen. If you spend enough time in their company, eventually they'll lead you to whatever they're doing as well. You spend time, and this applies for the physical body as well. You, if you, all of your friends are people that smoke cigarettes, for instance, right? Ten friends that you have, and all ten smoke, and you're the one that doesn't smoke. I can almost guarantee you that within 30 days, you'll be, from, you'll be someone who smokes as well. This is, this is natural. This is the way habits form. That applies for the body, and that applies for the soul as well. So seek out good company, and if you spend time in the company of righteous people, then you too will, be, then you too will receive that food in your, uh, for your soul as well. Company is essential. How essential is company? Look at the companions of the Prophet ﷺ. What do we call the companions of the Prophet ﷺ? What do we call them? Sahaba. Sahaba or a Sahabi for one companion. What does that mean? I just defined it, I guess. <laughs> companion. A companion. So the generation of people that came after with the Prophet ﷺ are the best group of people, right? The best ummah, the people that are with me. So the best generation of believers or of people that ever walked on the face of this earth were there at the time of the Prophet 
And amongst them were people that were huffah, that were fuqaha, that were ulama, that were muhaddithin. They were, they, were, they were people that achieved greatness. Aisha radiallahu anha, she was a muhaditha, right? The amount of hadith she had narrated. You know how many sahaba were memorized the Qur'an? How many sahaba were people that could do tafsir of the Qur'an? You know, we don't call them by that though. We don't call them, you know, muhaditha Aisha radiallahu anha. We don't call her that. We call her a sahabiyah. We call Abu Bakr as-Siddiq radiallahu anhu a sahabi. We title the greatest group of people that have accomplished all of, of the potential accomplishments within deen. We title them by what? The mere fact that they came in the company of the Prophet ﷺ for just a moment. What does it take to become a sahabi? Can you become a sahabi? Can I become a sahabi? Let's say I, do, I, I sit down in this masjid and I do itikaf in this masjid from now and for 30 years. Can I become a sahabi? If I go and pray the hajjud every single day for the next 40 years, can I become a sahabi? If I spend, you know, if I take the Quran and I memorize it and I recite it, you know, from now until the moment I pass away, can I become a sahabi? No. But someone who didn't do any of these things 1400 years ago and for a moment came in the company of the Prophet ﷺ for 60 years, just didn't even believe in Allah, didn't do any of these things. For a moment came in the company of the Prophet ﷺ and then passed away five minutes later. That person, is that a sahabi? Yes. And that person's rank is so high that Allah Ta'ala says in the Qur'an, He testifies to His pleasure of them when He says, Imagine if only, if at least once we, would, we could know that Allah Ta'ala was pleased with us. Right? Imagine if Allah Ta'ala says in the Qur'an, you know, that I am pleased with this servant of mine. I am pleased with, you know, with me. So a Sahabi's rank is purely because they were in the company of the Prophet for just a moment. So you can see how important it is to be in good company. That you will get that kind of a title from company. Allah Ta'ala says in the Qur'an, يَا أَيُّهَا الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا إِتَّقُوا اللَّهَ وَكُونُوا وَكُونُوا مَعَ الصَّادِقِينَ For you who believe, my servants, Allah Ta'ala is telling us, fear me, have consciousness of me, and be with the صَادِقِينَ كُونُوا مَعَ الصَّادِقِينَ Be with people of righteousness. Be with people of صدق. People that are true to their word, you are, you know, you, they are what you see of them, right? They are what they are in the open, they are on their own. Be with those people. Because if people, if the company you keep are people that remind you of Allah and bring you toward Allah, I guarantee you, you yourself will approach Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And if the, irrespective of everything else we're talking about, put everything aside. Put everything aside. If you made your goal from now that your goal is to keep the company of righteous people, I guarantee you, you then will also approach Allah. And on the other hand, if you follow everything else that we've talked about, all of these other things, components for the soul, and you have bad company that takes you away and reminds you of everything other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, I guarantee you that it will be difficult for you to approach Allah. It's tried and tested for years and years and years. Years and years and years. So good company is essential. If you want to be serious about your relationship with Allah, then be serious about the relationship that you have with your friends and those people around you. Be very serious about them. That's number four. Number five. This is the fifth point. Is the fifth food for the soul that would sort of help complete this balanced diet is the dhikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Is doing the dhikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. How much dhikr? 
Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran, Ya ayyuhaladhina amanu, udhkurullaha dhikran kathira. Remember me abundantly. Remember Allah ta'ala abundantly. Abundantly. To what degree? Allah ta'ala says in the Quran in another verse, that the people that have excelled and that are the all-stars and the people that have succeeded in this deen, right? The pinnacle of this deen, ulul al-bab, he says in Surah Ali Imran, are those people that الَّذِينَ يَذْكُرُونَ اللَّهَ قِيَامًا وَقُعُودًا وَعَلَىٰ جُنُوبِهِمْ Are the people that remember Allah Ta'ala while they are standing, while they are sitting, while they are lying down. They are always remembering Allah. The Prophet ﷺ was always engaged in the remembrance of Allah. Was always engaged in the remembrance of Allah. Whether it be active with his tongue or active with his heart or whether it be passive, that his state was such that he was constantly in the remembrance of Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala. Dhikr of Allah is essential. It's, the, it's a remedy for the soul. It has to be part and parcel of our daily life. It has to be part and parcel of our daily life. In a verse that we recited earlier, when Allah Ta'ala says about dhikr, the effect of dhikr it has, Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta'ala says, it's so powerful that أَلَا بِذِكْرِ اللَّهِ تَطْمَئِنُّ الْقُلُوبِ It's so powerful that it brings peace, contentment, happiness, ease, satisfaction to the qalb, to the heart. That's how powerful it is. You know, when times are difficult, do dhikr of Allah. When times are ease, we're good, do dhikr of Allah. You'll always be content. You'll always be content. Whatever Allah Ta'ala, whatever circumstance He puts you in, whether it be difficulty, whether it be ease, whether it be calamity, whether it be a challenge, if you're regular in your dhikr of Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala, then all of those variables will then just become constants. Or the constant will be the dhikr and the variable, it won't affect you, it won't phase you. It won't phase you. Now when it comes to the dhikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, there's different forms of dhikr that the ulama have, have, uh, have uh, elaborated on. One, which we all know is dhikr of the tongue. It's very... Uh, we're, we're taught this as a child. Dhikr, you know, the, the best form of dhikr of the tongue we said was recitation of the, the Qur'an. The Qur'an. We're saying the Qur'an, that's a form of dhikr, right? It's a form of remembering Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with the tongue. Another form of dhikr of the tongue is also salawat in the Prophet So there's dhikrs of the tongue. La ilaha illallah, Muhammad Rasulullah. Salawat in the Prophet And these are, uh, these are very important. It's very important that a person engage themselves. And the dhikrs of the tongue that we shouldn't miss at all are the du'as the Prophet would recite throughout the day. There's a du'a for like every part of the day there's a du'a. There's a du'a that the Prophet recited and if we recite it, it'll become a dhikr for us. That he recited when he woke up in the morning, when he, when he would see the sunrise in the morning, when he'd get up to go to the bathroom, he would recite a dua. When he'd come out of the bathroom, he'd recite a dua. When he left his home, he would recite a dua. When he began his travel, he would recite a dua. When he'd enter, back, when he'd enter the masjid, he'd recite a dua. When he'd leave the masjid, he'd recite a dua. When he'd enter back into his home, he'd have a dua. When he started his meal, he'd have a dua. When he finished his meal, he'd have a dua. When he went to bed, he had a dua. These are the words of the Prophet that we find in hadith and we should bring these du'as into our life because this will help remind us of our focus. So that's, those are all dhikrs of the tongue which is very important. There's another form of dhikr which is also essential to the soul and that is the dhikr of the heart. That is dhikr of the heart. There's different words for it. Dhikr khafi is one word. Dhikr qalbi, right? The remembrance, the dhikr of the heart that's performed is called dhikr khafi, dhikr qalbi. And of those, there's self-reflection. Muraqaba is another form of reflection and dhikr of the heart. But the heart has to spend some time doing the dhikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. 
It has to spend some time doing the dhikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran, وَذْكُرْ رَبَّكَ فِي نَفْسِكَ Remember Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in yourself. In yourself. Not from the tongue. Remember Allah ta'ala in yourself. In another verse, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, it's not coming to mind. Um, I'll come to it, inshallah. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, remember Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in your nafs, in yourself, remember Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So it's very important that we do dhikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We sit down for 15 or 20 minutes every day, or if we can't do that, just five minutes. Sit down in one spot, close your eyes, and imagine that your heart is thinking about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And if you can't do that, then sit down and just clear your mind. You know, there's so much noise today. There's so much noise. There's noise of the television, of the internet, of TV, of people, of, you know, our watches are even making noises now. Everything's making noise. We should be able to just sit down and put everything away and just be in isolation for a few minutes. It's essential to the soul. Self-reflection, isolation, khalwa. We aren't people that disappear for months and months and, you know, in, in, in caves and just, you know, just do reflection. That's not what we are. But there should be time during our busy day, away from work, away from school, away from everything. What, we could pick a spot in our home, pick a spot in the masjid, sit down for five minutes and ten minutes and have your heart reflect upon Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's greatness. And if you do that, then you will begin to see the love of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala enter into your heart. The love of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will then enter into your heart. Now when we talk about dhikr of the heart, dhikr qalbi or muraqaba, which means to watch over something. Raqaba yuraqibu. In the Arabic language, this is verb form three, right? Raqaba yuraqibu, which is in the mustar of which is muraqaba. Allah Taala says in the Quran, "Inna Allaha kana alaykum raqiba." Raqiba. What does raqiba mean? It means to be vigilant, vigilant of something. Allah Subhanahu wa Taala is saying that verily Allah Subhanahu wa Taala is vigilant over you, very watching over you. Allah Taala says, in, uh, so. So it should be our goal that if Allah Ta'ala's you know, attention is on us, that we also are vigilant of Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta'ala. That we also are vigilant. And that's where muraqaba comes from. It's that a person sits down and reflects upon the greatness of Allah. Now, and then, it doesn't mean that you have to do this. There's various forms of reflection. You can sit down and reflect upon the grave. Reflect upon, for five minutes, think about what is life going to be like in the grave. If we think, you know, this life is long, right? 50 years or 60 years, we could be in our graves for centuries, for you know, millennia we could be in our graves. Lying down, no cell phone, no internet, nothing to do. We'll be lying flat. What are we going to do there? Inshallah, we'll be protected from punishment. But let's say that we don't even have punishment or any adab. What if, what if you know, we were neutral? We we're, just, we we're just there. I mean, that's a scary thought. If, if, that thought. if you haven't thought about that, then next time there's a janazah in the masjid, this masjid, or any neighboring masjid, follow that janazah. Or if you have the opportunity, you know, when you, if you ever go for Umrah, follow a janazah into Jannat al-Baqi, or you know, anywhere where they where the, the body is buried without the coffin, and see, you'll see the body kind of wrapped in a shroud, placed into the ground, and you're thinking, man, that's real? That's reality? That's what's gonna happen to me? You know, I was thinking about how I'm gonna be comfortable for the 30 years or 40 years in this world, you know, making money and having a comfortable home and a comfortable mattress and a nice watch and 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 you know, things to match. But I'm going to be there for 500 years or 5,000 years. 
Have I thought about what, how I can beautify that home? Have I thought about how I can make that home a window to my Jannah? How can I make it such that I'm not lonely and isolated and all by myself and, and God forbid, you know, tortured in there? Have we thought about that? And if we haven't, then we should do muraqabah of the grave for a few minutes. Have we thought about the Day of Judgment? Have we reflected upon the reality of the Day of Judgment? If we think this life is long, or a challenge, or a day of difficulty in this life is long, imagine the Day of Judgment. Have we sat down and thought about it? How difficult will it be? Imagine if a difficulty were to strike us in this world, that it was so challenging that we wouldn't be able to identify each other. Imagine that degree of anxiety or depression or whatever you know, mental or psychological illness that would be plaguing us. Imagine that degree that in the, if we had that in this world, if we had that in this world, imagine the Day of Judgment, which could be hundreds of you know, thousands of years long and we'll be in that state. Have we ever thought about that? Have we ever reflected upon it? If not, then we should spend five minutes or ten minutes doing muraqabah of the Day of Judgment. Have we thought about our death? Have we thought about the moments where our soul will be taken away? We are all going to pass away. None of us is excused from this. None of us is excused. The proof is in the Quran. Allah says, Kullu nafsin That every soul shall taste death. And if, if that isn't fitting with us, and it should, then look at history. Is there anybody that's alive today from 200 years ago, from 2,000 years ago, from 5,000 years ago? Every single person will pass away. Everyone. The people in this world that are friends, people in, our, in this world that are our foes, people in this world that loved us, people in this world that didn't like us, they're all going to pass away. We are all going to pass away. And 150 years from now, none of us are going to be around. That's reality. And if that hasn't hit us yet, then we should sit down and do muraqabah from time to time and reflect and, and be vigilant over the time of our death. How can we make it a time where it's not that difficult? You know, how can it be a, a few moments where it's actually, you know, where, where, where we're looking forward to it? You know, where it's not just difficulty, where it's not painful, where it's not worry, you know? How can we make it so that it's perhaps a door for our Jannah or the way by which we will get to Jannah? And we'll begin to see the flowers and smell the fragrances of Jannah. How can we make our death that way? And it's through reflection that we'll be able to bring this into our life. Today, we cannot stand being alone. We cannot handle sitting by ourselves for five or ten minutes. We can't do it. We get in a car. As soon as we get in a car, we're like, it's too quiet. Put the radio on. Check our phone. Maybe there's somebody, somebody maybe someone messaged me. We check every five minutes. Maybe I got an email. You know, and we'll play something on our phone. We can't stand being alone. When we're at home, the TV has to be on. The internet has to be on. Something has to be playing in the background. People, we have to be talking. But the, the way the soul is designed is that it needs, it requires some time during the day of solitude, of reflection, of self-reflection. Of self-reflection. And if we can't handle it, and I, I alluded to this earlier, one of the litmus tests, one of the tests to see how well controlled your nafs is, or how out of control your nafs is to try to sit down for 15 minutes and see what happens. See what happens. You know, the Sahaba, or the people, and the people that came after the Sahaba, they could sit for hours and hours and hours reflecting upon Allah. Hours they could do the dhikr of Allah Ta'ala in their hearts, on their tongues. And our goal, our desire is to become from those people as well. Why? Because Jannah is real. The hereafter is real. The day of judgment is real. The, the time in the grave is real. 
all those things are real. They're more real than you guys looking at me right now. That's how real those things are. So the fifth component to feeding the soul is the dhikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that dhikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is both in the form of dhikr of the tongue through, through reciting the du'as the Prophet sallallahu recited at various times in the day, which as a result of those du'as, and we said earlier, attracts the attention of Allah and for the salikin that are seeking Allah ta'ala, the sunnah is the way, or, or the, the attention of Allah ta'ala is the way that you progress. That dhikr, so that, that dhikr of the tongue and other adhkar as well. And then there's dhikr of the heart, dhikr khafi or dhikr qalbi or muraqaba and these forms of dhikr of the heart or reflection. So that's another form of dhikr that we all have to do every day. It's essential to the soul. It's essential to the soul. And if you look at the theme of these five things, let me recap these five things. The first thing we mentioned was in terms of you know, a balanced diet to help feed and nourish and sustain the soul, number one was number one was Quran, recitation of the Quran. Not picking up the Quran and just reading the translation. There's some benefit to that as well. There is benefit to that. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about actual recitation of the Arabic. If, and if we can't, then we learn how to recite the Arabic. And, if we, and until we get to that point, then we at least pick up the Quran and, and just look at it or reflect upon it. That was number one. Number two was salawat on the Prophet Right? Salawat on the Prophet Essential ingredient to maintaining the soul. The third thing that we mentioned was following the sunnah. Ittiba' of sunnah. Not leaving a sunnah. Not leaving a sunnah. Especially when we are in control. When we are in our home, we have control over the environment. You know, maybe when you go to work or when you're at school, then the situation is a little bit different. You don't have full control over the circumstances. Fine. Maybe you can't follow up some sunnahs there. But when you're at home and you're by yourself, or when you come to the masjid, this is the house of Allah, you know, follow the sunnah. Don't, don't miss a single sunnah. Don't ever think of a sunnah as small. It could be your ticket to Allah Ta'ala. Don't think of a sunnah as small. It could be your ticket to Allah Ta'ala. That was the third. Ittiba'a sunnah. Following the sunnah of the Prophet footstep by footstep by footstep. And as a consequence of that, not only will Allah love you, but then people will also begin to fall in love with you. People, all of creation, animals will fall in love with you. The trees will fall in love with you. Allah Ta'ala declares all of creation to fall in love with the person uh, that He loves. The fourth was good company, righteous company. Kunu Seek out good company in particular. The company of people that remind you about Allah, that when you look at them, they they you feel closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. When you're away from them, you feel distance from Allah. And the company of people that love Allah Ta'ala and had that love in their hearts. And in general, in our circle of friends, in our circle in our in our circles, that we keep the company of people that are righteous, the people that are good, the people that want good for you, people that aren't out to get you. People that aren't trying to deceive you. Stay away from bad company. Keep the company of good people. And the fifth and final was ingredient was dhikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Whether it be dhikr of the tongue, whether it be dhikr of the heart, whether it be personal reflection. Now the, the theme behind these five things, and I've mentioned this, is that all of these things, they attract the attention of Allah ta'ala. And if you want to summarize, not summarize, but if you want to put into one classification, food for the soul, what is it that actually feeds the soul? Like, what is it that causes these five things? And perhaps there's more, but what is it that causes these five things to feed the soul? It's that these things attract Allah's attention and the nur, anwarat, barakat, they descend from Allah Ta'ala, where they descend on this earth, and we begin to attract them, and they then cause the heart to grow. Does that make sense? 
It's by doing these things. We're feeding our soul. How? Because these things are attracting Allah Ta'ala's attention. And through Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala's attention, our soul is being fed and our soul is growing. Our soul is being fed and our soul is growing. So then moving on. If you need a break, you're welcome to go in the back. I know this session might be a little longer, but you're welcome to take a break and you can get in the back and get some water. I won't mind at all. So now that we've established what the key nourishments are for the soul, the next step for us who want to traverse the path to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is to actually begin, begin this journey. The journey to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is very special. And we have to intend for this journey to happen. It doesn't happen by default. Just because we are believers doesn't mean that we are necessarily on this journey of becoming close to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So then there are steps to progression. There are steps to progression. And there's three, three or four steps to begin. Three or four steps to begin this journey to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The first step to progression is to leave sin. To leave sin. Those things that Allah Ta'ala and His Messenger وسلم, found to be distasteful, we have to stay away from these things. Sin is what holds the believer back from getting close to Allah Ta'ala. The analogy, you can think of it, and as I'm talking about this, think about your own life. Perhaps there's that one sin or there's that one thing that's plaguing you. Because each of us are in a different situation and each of us is in a different circumstance. There's different issues that I have. My issue might be, you know, one person's issue could be alcohol. You know, drinking alcohol, consuming alcohol. One, per one person's issue could be looking at inappropriate things on the internet. One person's issue could be the tongue. You know, backbiting, slandering. These are all sins that we perform. And each one has their own struggle. So think about your own struggle as you go over this. So when a person tries to get to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you can think about it as going from point A to point B on a ship. Sin is the anchor that holds the ship back. Sin is the anchor that holds the ship back. So it doesn't matter what kind of an engine you put on the ship. It doesn't matter if you empty off the load from the ship. It doesn't matter what you feed, right? The ship isn't going to go anywhere if the anchor is down. The ship will cease to make progress, or if it does, it'll be so slow. Inch by inch, it might move. And maybe it'll get to its goal. Maybe the ship will expire before then. So the same way with us as well. Sin is what holds us back. It's the anchor that prevents us, or it slows us down from progressing toward Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It's the anchor that holds us from progressing toward Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. No matter what we feed the soul, Quran, dhikr, salawat, muraqabah, all of these things, even if we feed all of these things, if we don't leave sin, then we won't make progress. It'll be very difficult for us to make progress. It comes in the hadith, the Prophet says that each time the believer commits a sin, a black dot appears on their heart. A black dot appears on their heart. Now, does this blackness... Is it apparent? Can you see it? If I was to, you know, open up my chest and look at this physical heart, would I, would I see 
blackness? No, you wouldn't see it, right? So this isn't a physical heart. We're not talking physical right now. A black dot appears on this heart. So much so that if that person continues to sin and sin and sin, then that entire heart becomes black. Becomes black. And it doesn't matter. Once it's that black, it doesn't matter what bleach you use on it. You won't be able to, you won't be able to reverse it at that point. So sin is what causes darkness within the heart. Sin causes darkness within the heart. And if we don't leave, we should analyze our life and look at the things that are holding us back from progressing toward Allah. And you're thinking, okay, I'm reciting Quran, I'm coming to the masjid, I'm keeping good company, you know, I'm, I'm doing all of these things, but for some reason I'm not making any progress. Then, guaranteed, it's because there's some sin that is plaguing you, that's in your life that you're not ready to let go. And if you can't let that go, then you can rest assured that progress has also been halted. Progress has also been halted. So leave sin. The progression of the sadiq is perhaps 90-95% leaving sin and 5-10% everything else. Leaving sin is the challenge. We don't want to do it because we love it so much. It comes to a point sometimes where we're so engaged in a sin, and this is where we should be extremely worried, is if we perform sin and we don't even think of it as wrong anymore. That's a sign of a severely diseased heart. Like, you know, uh, someone in the ICU who's, you know, intubated on vasopressors, who's, you know, basically on the brink of death. That's the heart that's, that doesn't recognize sin as sin. Doesn't recognize sin as sin. So we have to look at our lives and see what is it that's holding us back. We have to identify it and we have to remove it from our life. And if we are at a place where we don't identify, then know that our heart is very sick. Like honestly, you know, on, on the vent type sick. You know, maybe barely, not, not, not able to breathe at its own kind of sick. On three antibiotics kind of sick. That's the type of sickness. The Prophet said in the hadith that that sin is that thing that causes I don't know how to translate haka uneasiness within the heart uneasiness within the heart and the scholars say so by the default state is that sin you know all these sins I told you think about your own situation these sins are what cause are, are what it's supposed to cause uneasiness in the heart. So the, a, a good state or an okay state would be a person commits a sin, but they feel very uneasy about it afterward. And maybe they'll ask Allah Ta'ala for forgiveness, and then they'll fall back to it again. They still feel kind of bad about it. They know it's wrong. They know they shouldn't be doing it. They don't want people to, to see or know about this sin. Right? So that's an okay state to be in. But if you're at a state where every time you do the sin, you're not even thinking twice about this. It doesn't even cause... It doesn't cause any uneasiness or any tremble or shake in your heart, then know that that's a very diseased state and you have to come out of it. You have to come out of it. Your heart is on life support. Your heart is on life support. And you have to come out of it. You have to come out of it. So leaving sin is essential. The, the leaving of sin involves outward sins and inward sins. What do I mean by that? Allah Ta'ala says in the Quran, وَذَرُوا ظَاهِرَ الْإِثْمِ وَبَاطِنَا Leave those sins that are vahir, apparent, outward, right? And the sins that I had just mentioned, these are all outward sins. You know, whether it be sins with Allah, whether it be sins with other people, these are all outward sins. Well, batina, and inward sins as well. What are inward sins? What are the inward sins? These are the evils that, that disease our heart. Ostentation. 
pride, showing off, uh, being angered. These are all diseases of the heart. These are all diseases of the heart. Arrogance. The Prophet said that even an atom's weight of arrogance in a person, in a qalb, an atom's weight of arrogance will not be able to enter into Jannah. An atom's weight of arrogance. Which is why it makes sense. يَوْمَ لَا يَنْفَعُ مَانٌ وَلَا بَنُونَ إِلَّا مَنْ أَتَ اللَّهَ بِقَلِبٍ سَلِيمٍ A sound heart, a pure, pristine heart that's rid of all outward sins and inward sins. Outward sins. ظَاهِرًا إِثْمِ وَبَاطِنًا Get rid of the outward sins. Alcohol, you know, internet, or things of inappropriate on the internet, control, you know, inappropriate control of the eyes, you know, engage, dealing with interests, consuming, you know, all these things. Sins of the tongue, these are all outward sins. Backbiting, cheating, lying, these are all sins. Outward. But don't forget, while you're focused on the outward, don't forget about the inward. What lies in the heart? What diseases are there? What symptoms are there? Are you someone who gets angry? At every little thing. You know, your wife says something and you just throw a fit every time and, you know, and, and a big craze goes on in the home. Your child, you know, comes and taps you and says, Baba, I need something. And you turn around, wow, what do you want? If that's the type of heart that we have, full of anger, you know, if ostentation, every time we come to the masjid, we want to show, show people what we have. Or every time we get a car, we want every single person that's, that's in our vicinity to know that we just purchased this $50,000 car. When we purchase a home and it's of a particular size and it has all of these nice luxuries and we want it because we want people to see that we have it. These are all diseases of the heart. These are all diseases of the heart. That are bafina. These are hidden diseases of the heart. And these diseases are, are harder than the other diseases to remove. Why? Because we don't know we have them. Outwardly we might know, okay, you know, this is, you know, I can't do this, I can't do that, this is not permitted. That's fine. But when a person is has pride in their heart, has a in their heart, has greed, right? Wants to hold on to money all the time. Greed. This is this inner disease of the heart. Uh, of, of the uh, inner disease of the heart. When a person has all of these things, anger, envy, hasan, disease of the heart. All of these have to be purified, rectified, removed, or at least curtailed in accordance with the sunnah before we leave this world. So, leaving sin is essential, both outward and inward. The, the way to leave sin, the most important way to leave sin, in particular the outward sin, but also the inward sins, is the company and the environment of sin. If you avoid the environment of sin, it is more likely that you will be able to leave sin altogether. It's more likely that you'll be able to leave sin. But if you don't leave the environment of sin, if you're thinking that the issue for me is that I, you know, I, I don't know, I look at things on the internet for you know, two hours, and that computer or that iPad is in my room. And if you don't leave the environment, meaning get rid of the internet from your room, then it'll be near impossible for you to remove that sin. It'll be near impossible. If your sin is that you talk for hours and hours on the cell phone about other people, you know, just slandering people and just backbiting, I mean, there's not much, there's not much to have between two people in a conversation that's good. Right? After the first five minutes of how are you, how are things going, how's so-and-so doing, okay, how's your work, everything like that. After that, there's nothing to talk about except what? Other people. Other people. And if you're someone that talks for hours on the phone, then know that you have to limit your cell phone. Get a limited plan. Get a pay-per-minute type plan. Otherwise, it'll be very difficult because if you say, you know what, I'm just going to stop myself. 
Well, you haven't left that environment. You haven't left that environment. Just like an alcoholic for the physical disease, an alcoholic who's trying to leave drinking, right? If that person who's always going to the bar, going to the bar, drinks, drinks, and then one day decides, you know what, I'm going to leave drinking, I'm, this is ruining my life, my liver's messed up, my brain's messed up, I'm done with this. I have cardiomyopathy, I'm never doing this again. And that person says, but you know what, I'm just going to go to the bar, I'm just not going to drink. I'm just going to go hang out, my friends are there. You think that person's going to survive? Impossible. You have to avoid the environment altogether. It applies for a physical disease, right? Whether it be smoking, whether it be alcohol, and it applies for spiritual diseases as well. It applies to spiritual diseases as well. The, 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 the worst spiritual disease of all. And you know what it is? It is hubbud dunya. Hubbud dunya. Love for this world. Love for this world is the worst inner disease. Prophet said, hubbud dunya raqsu kulli khati'ah. The root cause, if you're doing, you know, now most companies do this, hospitals are doing this, root cause analysis, right? If you were to look at the root cause of most sins, and according to the Prophet, actually all sins, is what? Love for the heart. We think that, or what, we think that we're going to be here forever. And as a result, we love this current world. Our love should be with Allah Ta'ala, and for what's inshallah to come in the hereafter. And we have to rid ourselves. It isn't that we negate ourselves from this world. That's not the point here. We still have to do the things that we have to do. We have to work, we have to eat, we have to establish this, right? The body, we're balanced. Our deed is very balanced. We have to operate in the dunya. We just can't have love for the dunya. You see the difference? It's subtle, but it's there. We can't have love for the dunya. And that's the ultimate inward disease. So leaving sin is the first step to progression. You take that sin off your back, then that ship will sail very quickly. You'll be able to go very quickly. You'll be able to reach Allah Ta'ala very quickly. You remove sin, and then the five ingredients that I had mentioned before, you bring those into your life, and just watch, watch yourself flourish. You'll become people of happiness. You'll become people that are content. You'll become people that are connected with your Lord. You'll be so satisfied. Your relationship with your families will improve. A person that submits themselves to this deen, we think that this will somehow take us away. But the reality is that we submit to the deen and to the sunnah and become people of purity. And people will fall in love with us. Our relationship with our parents will improve. The relationship we have with our uh, children will improve. Our, the relationship we have with our spouses. I talked about this in the khutbah. That it's two imperfect, spiritually immature people trying to come together and trying to live under one household. What do you think is going to happen but chaos? But if the, two, if the husband and wife spend time Spend time purifying themselves, leaving sin, working on becoming close to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and the love between them will grow and it'll become a house of extreme happiness. Happiness. Your relationship with your parents will improve. Your relationship with your co-workers at work will improve. The relationship you have with your neighbors and the community at large will improve. This is the solution. Tying ourselves to tradition and trying to become close to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the solution for all of our problems. All of our problems. So the first step to progression is that we have to leave sin. The second step, there's three steps, and then we'll inshallah take a break because um, people's mouths are salivating, it seems like. That's okay. It's okay to eat. So what was the first step to progression we just said? Leaving sin. 
the most important, highlighted, you know, gold star next to it. The second, also very important, and it leads back to the prior. A person that wants to begin the journey to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has to begin by making a sincere tawbah. I'll say that again. A person that wants to begin the journey to Allah or re-begin their journey to Allah or re-re-begin because they've left and distanced themselves for the umpteenth time. Re-begin or begin their journey to Allah Ta'ala. That person has to start by making a sincere tawbah. A sincere tawbah. This is the key to life. This is the key to life. Tawbah is so easy. What does Tawbah mean? It means to repent for your prior life of sin. It's so simple. The reality is that the Prophet said, Kullu bani Adama khatta'un. Every son of Adam is a sinner, a profuse sinner. We, we sin. This is, this is part of being human. We make mistakes. It's okay. It's okay to make mistakes. But the best of the people that sin, khayrul khattaeen, and the people that sin are whom? Everyone. All the children of Adam, except for the prophets. Are the best of those are whom? Those people that regularly repent back to Allah. The reality is that we've spent our lives transgressing against Allah. Years. For some of us, months. Some of us, years. Some of us, decades, heedless of Allah, neglecting every duty of Allah, never coming to the masjid for pleasure, you know, treating our, our, our children uh, improperly, you know, slandering, using our tongue, just completely wasting away our lives. But there's always that opportunity to turn back to Allah Ta'ala, and that is through tawbah. If a person turns back to Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala, tubu ilallahi tawbah nasuha, turn back to Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala with a sincere tawbah. A sincere tawbah. What does that mean? It means that you, at some point in your life, preferably today, because we don't know if we'll be alive until tomorrow. Allah Ta'ala knows when we're going to pass away. But preferably today, or at some point where we sit down, we do it on our own, or we do it with someone. Man taba ma'aka. The Prophet Wasallam, the Sahaba had done tawbah with the Prophet Wasallam. Man taba ma'aka. It comes in the Quran. But we do tawbah where we sit down in isolation by ourselves at home, no one's around. We pray two rakah. And if you're lazy or too tired, fine, don't pray the two rakah. But sit down, clear your mind, raise your hands in supplication, or, or even before doing that, have nadama in your heart. Nadama means to feel bad. Feel bad. Feel bad in your heart for the life that you've lived. Until we can feel bad about the life that we've lived, we can forget about the life that we'd like to live. We forget about the life that we'd like to live. So the first step to Doba is that you sit down and you have nadama. You feel bad. You cry. You cry and you say, Oh Allah, I have messed up my life. I'm sorry. You feel bad. You feel bad. You think... Where did the years go? Where did the time go? What was the sin that I was engaged in? What was I involved in? What was I thinking? The prayers that I missed? You know, the, the time that I spent just heedless of you and what you had wanted and what the Prophet wanted or what he would have wanted from me. And you feel bad. Nadama. And you cry to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The tear is so powerful. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala 
loves the tear. Loves the tear of the believer. Don't underestimate the power of crying. You don't have to cry in public if you know it's it's an issue with that on your manhood or something. If you don't want to. Although that shouldn't be the case. But if you can't, we're talking about when you're by yourself, you, no one's around, you and Allah just cry, 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 cry. Just cry. The Prophet would just cry. Or Umar ibn Khattab, who you know was powerful and he was, you know, everyone was afraid of him. So much that Shaytan was afraid of him. He would take a different street where Umar would walk. What would he do at night? He just cried. And he feel bad for what his, I mean, imagine, what was his life as a word? Promises, I mean, what, what did he do wrong? But look at our lives. I mean, this, this is so different in the lives of the people of piety that come before. And if they would cry for hours a night, every single night, and they would cry, how about you and I? A person that wants to begin the journey for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has to sit down and cry to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and feel bad for the life that they had lived before. And after they cry, the next step is they ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to forgive them for their mistakes. To forgive them for their mistakes. We've all made mistakes. Some of the mistakes that we've made are, we can't even imagine, you know, how we could have done such a thing. You know, if people were to know the mistakes, the person sitting next to us were to know the mistakes that we had made in our life, the sin that we committed, you know, we wouldn't be able to show face. We'd be so ashamed. We all have skeletons in our closet. We all have something. Or a lifetime's worth of something. We have to ask Allah to forgive us. And the beauty is that even before we complete that request from Allah Ta'ala, Allah Ta'ala loves to forgive the believers so much that you can consider yourself forgiven. You can consider yourself forgiven. It's easier for Allah Ta'ala to forgive us for a lifetime's worth of mistakes than it is for us to sin. It's easy for Allah Ta'ala to forgive us for our lifetime work of worth and sake than it is for us to sin. The Prophet said in such a beautiful hadith, The one who repents from sin, is like that person that never sinned to begin with, that has no sin attached to their name. So a person can wipe away their history in a moment's worth of time isolation or in reflection with Allah and if we want to take that baggage off our shoulders we've now we've made a commitment to Allah that we're going to leave sin but now we have you know years and years of darkness that has sort of plagued that, have, that has taken over our hearts that we have on our shoulders but if we repent to Allah Ta'ala sincerely Allah Ta'ala is ready to forgive and he's ready to he's, he's, Allah Ta'ala is ready to forgive Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala is ready to forgive so it's simple. We should do it. We should tonight or tomorrow, and we should do it regularly. We should pray Salat al Tawbah. Or we should just ask Allah to forgive us for our mistakes. Inshallah, He will. Inshallah, He will. And make a promise, a commitment to Allah. So the first is Nadama, that you feel sorry. The second is that you ask Allah to forgive you. And the third is to make a promise to Allah that, Ya Allah, going forward, I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm going to become a true servant to yours, once and for all. You know, you created me, you're providing for me, everything is from you, the air I breathe, the food I eat, you know, everything, the relationships that I have, everything, all, everything is from you. I wouldn't even be in existence without you, Ya Allah. 
I want to turn back to you and going forward I'm going to. And so we make that commitment and that promise to ourselves, to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. With someone or even with someone to Allah or by ourselves to Allah. But that commitment that we make is to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That commitment that we make to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we're not going to go back to that previous life. We are now going to change our lives and become better people. Become better people. So the first step to progression, we said, number one, we have to leave sin. The second thing we said was that we have to do a sincere tawbah. And wipe away, wipe away that load you know, that, that's on our shoulders so that we can run. If you have a heavy backpack and you're trying to run, it's very challenging, very difficult. But you take that thing off, flick it off, it just takes a second. You flick that thing off and you're able to you know, run 10 miles an hour. You can run really fast. Because you remove that load off your shoulders, if you don't remove that load, then you can't traverse the path. You can't traverse the path. The third step that a person has to take is that just like when a physical body is severely ill, that physical body has to get professional help from the doctor of the body. Similarly, a soul that's spiritually ill, a soul that's ill, or a heart that's ill, it too has to get professional help. It too has to get professional help from the doctors of the soul. It too has to get professional help from the doctors of the soul. SubhanAllah, 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 Subhan